Welcome back to our series through the Gospel of John. We are asking this question this year, who is Jesus? It's a simple question, but profoundly important that we are able to answer the question, who is Jesus? This morning in the text that we're going to study, there's a question that is being asked, and the question that this group of people is asking is about John the Baptist. They want to know, who is John the Baptist? And what we're going to watch is John the Baptist say, guys, it doesn't matter who is John the Baptist. I want you to know who Jesus is. Grab your Bible, open up your Bible app, whatever it is that you're using this morning. Join me in the book of John. We're going to jump back into chapter 1, verse 19. If you would meet me there in John chapter 1, verse 19. It starts off by telling us that we're about to read the testimony of John the Baptist. This was John's testimony, not the, not the author of this gospel. That's the apostle John. We're about to hear John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants. Now, you might have the word Levites. That's what Levites were. That's the, the, uh, they were the temple assistants. They were in charge of the, the rituals at the temple. And the, the Jewish leaders, the religious, political elites in Jerusalem sent this group of investigators out into the wilderness, out uh, where John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing people to do an investigation to ask John this question. Here's what the question was. Who are you? Who are you? And John came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Now, that's a curious response. Obviously, the way that they asked the question, maybe there was some uh, conversation that was not recorded prior to the question being asked, But it was obvious to John, the question that they were really asking was, are you the Messiah? So the way that they asked it, or whatever happened before the question got asked, John understood what they were asking. And they understood John's response because they they don't sound curious to his response afterward. They just continue with the questioning. So when they say, who are you, John somehow understands what they're asking. Are you the Messiah? That's where they start. Are you the Messiah? And John says very clearly, nope, I am not the Messiah. Okay, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet Elijah? Nope, he replied, I am not the prophet Elijah. Okay, well, then are you the prophet we are expecting? Now, they, John would have understood, uh, the, the first century Jewish person would have understood exactly what they were talking about. It's not quite as obvious to us. Uh, that would have been a reference to uh, a promise, a prophecy in Deuteronomy, that there's this promise that one day there will be this, this prophet like Moses. When we get to the book of Acts, and we find out in the book of Acts that Jesus fulfills that prophecy. But at this point, they're, they're saying, is that who you are? Are you this prophet we're waiting for that will be like Moses? Nope, that's not who I am. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us, the political, religious elites that sent us from Jerusalem, want to know who you are. And we have to go back with an answer. Who 
are you? What do you say about yourself? Now, John's going to give a reply in verse 23. We're going to look at it in just a moment. Skip over it for now. They don't like his reply, and so they continue with the question. Then the Pharisees, who had been sent, asked them, all right, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not this prophet that'll be like Moses, then what right do you have to baptize these people? Who gave you authority? Where are your credentials that give you the authority or the right to baptize these people? Who said you could do that? We'll look at John's answer in just a moment. Maybe you are familiar with John the Baptist. Uh, There are some other things written about him in the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke also write about John the Baptist and and his ministry. And there's It's the beginning of those Gospels. I would encourage you to read through some of those descriptions. I'm going to give you kind of a summary of what you'll find there. John the Baptist, uh, we find out here, there's a list of, of who he's not. He starts off with a pretty strong list of who he is not. He's not a priest. The priests would have been the theological authorities of the day. That's not who he is. He's not one of the political religious elites because that's who sent these guys out into the wilderness to do an investigation. He's not that. He's not a Levite. He's not in charge of the rituals at the temple. He's not the Messiah. Well, who's the Messiah? What is is this title, the Christ, the Messiah? Well, the Messiah or the Christ is the promised anointed one who would deliver Israel. Israel who would rule on the earth. And there's lots of prophecies about Messiah, about the Christ. It's not who he is. He's not this prophet Elijah. He's not the prophet like Moses. Well, who is he then? Well, in the other Gospels, we find out that John was was living out in the wilderness, like camping out in the middle of nowhere. That's where he's living. Uh, He had a camel hair poncho. He ate locusts and, 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 and honey. He basically was living like a homeless man out in the middle of nowhere. He had no fancy credentials. He looks like a homeless man. And yet what we find when we read through the Gospels, we find that there's this huge gathering of people that, that not only are, are willing to go and see, like, I can understand it would make sense like you have a gathering like this, right? Every week we get together and it's nice, it's comfortable, it's cold outside, uh, maybe not as cold as Somerset, but it's, it's cold, it's, it's miserable out there. But we have a nice warm facility, we gather together and that makes sense, it's comfortable, right? Maybe it took a little bit of inconvenience to get out of bed this morning, put some clothes on and get here, but it's not a huge inconvenience. These people are leaving their homes and going out in the middle of nowhere, that's, a, that's an inconvenience. That takes some effort. That takes a little bit of personal sacrifice. And yet, tons of people are going out to hear John preach. There's this huge crowd that are going out to hear John preach this, this message. He's got no fancy credentials. He looks like a homeless man. Why are they gathering to hear him preach? Well, maybe, it's, uh, maybe he's one of these amazing preachers that has this kind of message that people really want to hear. His message was this, repent. That was his message. Repent, the Messiah is coming. And then he told them, you need to demonstrate your repentance by getting baptized, and then you need to change your way of life. That was his message. He was telling people, you need to make sure that your heart, 
Make sure that your life is right with God because the Messiah is coming. And so many people were coming out to not only hear John's message, but they were responding to John's message. They were getting baptized. They were changing their lives. So many people that the religious political elites in Jerusalem decided to launch an investigation into John. And they sent some guys out to ask the question, who are you? Who are you? And it's hard to get the inflection of maybe how they would ask the question, except that the, the, the line of questioning kind of lends towards uh, the, the, the not understanding part. The authority part they definitely got to. Like, who, who, who do you think you are? They got to that. But it almost starts out with, we don't get it. We look at you, and we don't understand. Like, why are all these people out here? Why are all these people gathering to hear what you have to say? Have you seen yourself? And then it, it goes into the, almost like, who do you think you are? Who, who gave you the authority to baptize all of these Jews, which also confused them? Because Jews don't get baptized at that time. That's not normally what would happen. What normally would happen is Gentiles would get baptized. Gentiles who wanted to convert to uh, Judaism, they would go to the proper Jewish authorities, these guys, and they would be vetted and go through whatever necessary things they would need to go through, and then the, the official people would baptize the Gentiles and convert, help them convert to Judaism. That's what would normally happen. But not only is, is this guy not, not properly credentialed, he's baptizing Jews. They're, they're confused. Who, who, are, who are you? Who authorized you to do this? Who are you, John? Now, at this point, now, if you know a little bit more of the story as far as what John's response is going to be, we find out, we're going to find out in just a moment, that, that God is the one who authorized this mission. And remember at Christmas time, we talked about John the Baptist? This is something that God uh, had, had called John to before John was even born. And so God had selected John for this, for this mission. And you just think about that. Who authorized, who authorized me? God did. How about that? You, you almost expect the response to be, who am I? Guys, I'm John the Baptist. What do you mean, who am I? I don't need your approval I don't need your credentials. I've been called by God to introduce the Messiah to the world. Who am I? I'm the one God chose to prepare people's hearts for the coming of the promised king of the world. I should be asking, who are you, to question me? But that wasn't John's response. Verse 23 starts his response. John replies to their first line of questioning, who are you? Almost a curiosity. We don't get it. We don't, we don't understand. And he identifies himself as a fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. He's identifying himself as the, the fulfillment of that prophecy that he has been given the mission by God to prepare the way, to announce to the world this the Messiah is here and is Jesus. 
They asked him about this authority. Like, who, who gave you authority to do this? His answer continues in verse 26. John says, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Wow. John essentially is, is saying to these guys, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the big deal. I know you come out here and you're wondering, why is John a big deal? We don't get it, but I'm not, I'm not the headliner here. Jesus is the headliner. Jesus is the big deal. I'm, I'm baptizing with water as an expression of repentance, but Jesus is going to bring spiritual baptism the power of new life. Jesus is so much more important than I am. I'm just the voice that you hear at the beginning of the show who introduces the main act. That's how, he's, that's how he identifies himself. Let's do a quick informal poll, okay? Show of hands. Just be honest about it. How many of you, if given the opportunity, if if it would be possible, how many of you would, would like to be famous, like a household name famous? How many of you would like that? No one. All right, interesting. Now, that doesn't totally surprise me uh, in, in, a, in a group with, without much of the demographic of millennials. Apparently, according to uh, some recent study, recent poll research, about a third, actually a little bit more than a third of millennials, which are those born like in the 80s and 90s, about a third of them, if you ask them what they want to be, you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor, I want to be a whatever. If you ask that group, that generation, what do you want to be? About a third, a little bit more than a third, say, I want to be famous. That's what they want to be. It's the biggest uh, percentage of the different generations. And then if you dial in a little bit more and you, and you, and you push into, okay, you wanna, be, you wanna be famous, what would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to sacrifice in order to be famous? And a lot of them would be willing to forgo being married. Now of that group, of that third, they would be willing to, to forgo or give up having children if it meant that that's what it costs to be famous, that's fine. How about this? This kind of blew my mind. Out of that group, one in 12, I don't know what that percentage would be, I'm not super good at math, but one in 12, according to the article, uh, they, would, they would drop their family. Like they would walk away and have nothing to do with their family ever again if that's what it costs to be famous. Wow. Now, that seems extreme to most of us, especially in a room full of people that there's no way, I don't, I don't want to be famous. That seems a little extreme to a lot of us. But I wonder, now we have some students in the room. We'll have more coming in here in, in about an hour or so. But you probably know students in that age group, uh, junior high, especially high school, uh, young adults, I wonder how many of our students would be willing to be unkind towards another student if it meant they could increase in their popularity in the school. 
I wonder how many of our students would be willing to compromise their faith, hide their faith, compromise their faith in exchange for being accepted by the in crowd at school. I wonder how many of our students, and I'm not talking about in general, I mean our students, our church-going students would be so desperate to have a certain social status, a social ranking at school to be a big deal on social media that they would be willing to hide, to compromise their faith in order to get it. I don't know. There's probably a couple. How about us adults? I wonder how many of the adults, and I'm talking like adults in this room. I don't mean in general. I don't mean here in the community. Adults, church going, Sunday morning, early service. How many adults in this room ever feel a, a strong desire to be known to, to be looked at as important. Maybe have a status symbol that tells people. They don't have to ask. There's just something. You have something, a title, a status symbol that tells people, I'm successful. I'm important. I'm influential. I'm powerful. I'm a big deal. I wonder how many adults in this room Post things online, hoping, hoping for an applauding audience. And sometimes it doesn't matter that what is being posted is not Christ-centered, is not a good reflection of a follower of Jesus, but boy, you got the applause. You got the likes. I'm not going to let pastors out of this either. How, I wonder. I wonder how many pastors stand on a stage week after week hoping for a bigger audience. Hoping for a bigger audience because they think a bigger audience means greater significance. Sheridan Voicey you may have heard of him, maybe not. He's an author. He writes not only books, but he writes uh, for the Daily Bread. Are you familiar with the Daily Bread? We give these devotionals away at Grace Central. They're just small devotionals. They give you a verse or a passage and a, a, a spiritual thought to think through about that, that passage of Scripture, the Daily Bread. He's one of the authors for that. He wrote a book. One of his first books that he wrote was called Unseen Footprints. And, you, and if you've been around Christianity, you probably can figure out what that book was about. But when he wrote the book, the publishers, as publishers do, they try to promote the book, right? That's normal. They want to sell books. And so his publishers arranged to have this interview at uh, a book fair. I'm like a big book fair. I don't mean like at the public library in Roaring Spring. I mean a big book fair. And so they set this whole thing up, this, this interview, help sell books, get some publicity out there. And, and there's a lot of people at this book fair, a ton of people. 
and the announcement was made. Ladies and gentlemen, join us for an exciting interview with author Sheridan Voicey, and he walked out onto the stage expecting to see 400, maybe more people in the room. Now, I want you to think about this. If he's expecting 400 people plus in the room, it has to be a room like this. It has to be a room. If you're going to have that many people, it better be a space this big. Well, there weren't 400 people in the room. There weren't 40 people in the room. There were four. Imagine, space this size, four people in the room. Two of them were his publishers. Oof. At the end of the interview, he signed one book. He signed one. What's that mean? That means out of the two people (laughs) that were sitting there, only one of them was interested in even meeting him when it was all done. As he reflected on, on that day, he, he wrote in his reflection, he, he wrote, I went to my car, I sat in my car, and I just felt extremely insignificant. That's how, that's how he felt in that moment. Well, after the, the sting, right, you're asking yourself the question, who, who am I? Who is Sheridan Voicey, apparently no one. Apparently I'm a no one. After the sting of that wore off, the embarrassment wore off, and he came back to the gospel, Sheridan says he remembered that his self-worth, that his significance is not supposed to be connected to being famous. His significance is not supposed to be connected to what other people think of us. He remembered that his significance is supposed to be connected to who he is in Jesus and how God has called him to shine the lights brightly on Jesus so that more people can meet Jesus, so that more people can begin to follow Jesus. That's what he's been called to do. And that's where his significance is supposed to be found, in Jesus. John the Baptist was really important. I mean, he, he was. He was a big deal. John had huge crowds gathering to hear him speak. They were responding to this message of repentance. They were getting baptized. Not only that, not only was he having this tremendous success in, in that ministry, John was called by God to introduce the Messiah to the world. Not the religious political elites, no. John, the guy wearing a camel hair poncho eating bugs in the middle of nowhere. That's who God called. And when John was asked the question, who are you? I think what, re- what some of them really wanted to know was, why you? We don't get it. What's so special about you, John? Look at you. What... You, you don't have the credentials we have. What's so special about you? Why, why are you getting all this attention? We should be getting the attention. I think that was at the heart of at least some of them. And John says, guys, I'm, I'm not the special one. I'm not the one that you should think is special. The Messiah is the special one. 
The Messiah is the one that you should be impressed with. I'm, he says, I'm like a slave that's not even worthy to untie the sandals of the master. In comparison to Messiah, that's who I am. I want to introduce you to Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's the big deal. He is a big deal because, you ready for this? Look at verse 29. Why is Jesus such a big deal? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, look, everybody, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. That's an interesting description of Jesus. John certainly seems excited that Jesus is coming. Certainly seems excited about Jesus being a big deal. I wonder why he uses the image of a lamb if he's so excited about this this Jesus who's such a big deal. Lambs aren't super impressive. I've seen a lot of impressive animals at the zoo. In fact, Angie and I went to the Columbus Zoo uh, this past summer for our anniversary. That's where she wanted to go. We had a, a blast. As we were going through the different parts of the zoo, the different enclosures, we saw some really impressive animals. One of the things that was uh, a lot of fun, we got to feed giraffes. You ever feed giraffes? Man, that's that is a blast. We saw lions and polar bears. Out of all the, all the animals that we saw, though, that day, the most impressive, I was just truly in awe of these two grizzly bears. This is the first time I'd ever seen a grizzly bear up close. And if you've never seen a grizzly bear, what you see on TV does not compare to being on the other side, like on the other side. I don't know how thick that glass was, but I hope it was thick. On the other side of this glass, this just immense, powerful animal. And they were playing with each other. It was it, they, they, as they were slapping each other, like one of those slaps would have killed you and I. And they were just, it was amazing. It was so impressive. As we walked through the zoo and we're looking at all the different impressive animals, there was one area, one enclosure that we walked by out of the whole zoo. We had a, an amazing time, saw some amazing things but the one enclosure that we walked by, guess what it was? The petting zoo. We do, we, we, and it's not because we're grossed out by petting animals. It, we, it's like, eh, what do they have in the petting zoo? They got some goats. Yeah. They have some lambs. And it's not that those animals aren't cute. They're just like, eh. Yeah. We see that around here, right? Why are we supposed to be so impressed when John describes Jesus as the Lamb of God. Well, because for centuries, Jewish people were required to sacrifice lambs to make amends with God for their sin. But the blood sacrifice of these innocent lambs was, was never going to be the final solution for sin. Only Jesus could be the final solution for our sin problem. So when Jesus came and voluntarily allowed himself to be the sinless, perfect, once for all sacrifice that atoned for all sin that people would confess and repent of, it makes sense why he's described 
as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why he's a big deal. Now, I just want to pause on that phrase, takes away the sin of the world, just to make sure that you don't read that and infer something into it that it doesn't mean. That phrase refers to humanity in general. What Jesus accomplished through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, made forgiveness possible for everyone. No distinctions. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're a big deal or not a big deal. His death, burial, and resurrection made forgiveness of sins possible for anyone who would trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin. It's not an automatic bank transfer. The Lamb of God paid the full amount of the sin debt owed to God. Jesus appeased the wrath of God against all sin. Jesus is the one who has an account that is full of righteousness. You know what our account has in it? Bankrupt. We're bankrupt. And so Jesus comes and makes it possible for his righteousness to be credited to our bankrupt account. That's the offer. It's not an automatic transfer. He's offering it. But we have to accept that offer by faith. When that happens, God no longer sees the list of reasons why we are guilty. He only sees the righteousness of Christ. That's the offer that Jesus is making to everyone. There are no distinctions. Forgiveness of sin, paid in full by Jesus, the Lamb of God. We receive that offer by confessing that we are a sinner with a spiritually bankrupt soul in desperate need of what Jesus is offering. We receive that offer by repenting of our sin, by receiving that offer of forgiveness by faith in Jesus, believing that he paid our sin debt, that he's the one who removes the guilt of our sin. He's the one who makes us right with God. He's the one who gives us a new heart, a new life, his Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus, the Lamb of God, is such a big deal. That's why John didn't want the spotlights on himself. He just wants people to know who Jesus is. Go back to the text. Verse 30. Well, 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. Pause. He existed long before me. If you go back to the Christmas story... John was actually born six months before Jesus was born. Why is John saying that Jesus existed before him when he's clearly at least six months older than Jesus? John the Baptist is saying the same thing that John the Apostle said in verse 1, that Jesus always existed, that Jesus is God. They're saying the same thing. That's who Jesus is. He said, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Jesus. Now, this week, when you go back and 
read the different testimony of Matthew, Mark, and Luke about John the Baptist, which I would encourage you to do. Just go back to the beginning of those Gospels, read about John the Baptist, similar stories. You're going to see this, this picture of Jesus when he got baptized by John, of this dove that descends, it's the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, descends on Jesus, and this voice from heaven, uh, the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You see this scene play out. Listen to what John says in verse 32. I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, told me in advance, here's what to look for. Here's how you know it's Messiah. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, the spiritual baptism of Jesus. That's what we experience when we trust Christ as our Savior. I saw this happen, John says. I saw it happen. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the chosen one of God. He is the big deal. You take all of this exchange between John and these guys and his testimony, John is saying, guys, I, my significance is not found in your approval. My significance is not found in being famous. My significance is connected to knowing Jesus, to pointing as many people as possible to him. And so we take all of that and we bring it into your life and my life here today. And we ask the question, all right, who are you? Who are you? Are you someone who wants to be famous? I asked that earlier. You said, no, that's not who I am. Okay. Are you someone who wants a million followers? You said, no, nah, that's, that's not what I want. Okay. Are you someone who wants to be trending? You're like, nah, I don't, I don't need to be trending. But maybe you're someone who wants so badly to be popular, important, noticed, powerful, successful, influential. That this idea of, of, of being unseen, of being unknown, there's days when maybe that bothers you. Maybe. Maybe, though, you're someone more like John. And if you're not, it's who we should want to be more like. Someone more like John. I just, you know what? I, I, I just want to point more people to Jesus. I just want to be someone that, that wants other people in, in, my, in my life, in my sphere of influence, I just want them to meet Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who can forgive them of sin, the one who can give them eternal life. I, I just want to help people learn how to follow Jesus because I believe that living a Jesus-centered life is the way that we find joy and satisfaction and significance in this life. And I want more people to have that. I want you to think again about John's message. John's message was repent, get your heart, get your life right with God. Why? Because Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king is coming. So get your heart right. Get your life right with God. That was his message. 
Listen to this from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples. And uh, it extends to you and me. If you're a follower of Christ, this, this extends to us. Matthew 28. Here's the instruction that Jesus gave before he went back to heaven. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm super excited about our baptism coming up at the end of the month. It's going to be exciting. I hope you're going to be part of it. Either uh, here to witness it or hopefully we might even have some. We've opened it up, just so you know. First service, we've opened it up. There might be some that would want to even get baptized in the first service. We'll see how it all shakes out. We've got a pretty big group. Uh, Some might want to come do that. But it's going to be an exciting day baptize people that are following Jesus. And he says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. Teach them how to follow me. This is what we've been charged to do by Jesus. This is the command that we've been given by Jesus to make disciples, to help people meet Jesus and teach them how to follow Jesus. It's the same, it's the same message. The king, the king is coming back. Do you believe that? I believe that. The king is coming back, and you and I have been called to introduce people to Jesus, to challenge them to repent, to challenge them, get your heart, get your life right with God before it's too late. The king is coming back. And some of you hear that, and you're like, oh, that just causes anxiety in me. That causes fear in me if I say something like that to someone now, I, don't, I don't know how that's going to go. They might not like me. They might think I'm weird. That's some good news for you. Ready? Good news. Good news is you don't have to go live out in the woods and wear a camel hair poncho and eat bugs to do this. You don't have to do that. You don't have to have a huge crowd follow you around to do that. You don't have to be a pastor on a stage somewhere to do that. You can share Jesus with people, first of all, just in the way that you live your life. Now, at some point, words are necessary, but it starts with just the way we live our lives. I'm telling you, our culture right now is so dark. If you are living, if you are living a life according to God's word, you are going to stand out. People are going to notice. There's such a contrast between darkness and light right now. People are going to notice that. Now, some are going to resent you for that. Some are going to want nothing to do with you because you follow the word of God. But there will be some who will be curious. There will be some who will be drawn towards your faith. They're going to want to know more about Jesus because of your uh, lifestyle choices that are connected to and under the authority of the word of God. So it starts there. We can all do that. I think, I think another just simple thing that we can do is, is work Jesus into our conversation intentionally. Something good happens in your life. And I do hope something good happens in your life from time to time. Something good happens in your life. You have an opportunity to give glory to God when you talk about it. Right? You tell someone, well, how was your week? What's going on in your life? Oh, this is going on. It's a good thing going on in my life. And I'm just so grateful, I'm so thankful that God has been so kind to me. 
I'm so thankful what, for what Jesus has been doing in my life. Right? You, you, we, can, we, can, we can work our relationship with the Lord into these conversations. How about this? Something bad happens in your life. That happens to all of us. Something uh, difficult is going on in your life. You can work Jesus into that conversation when you're talking about it. You don't just have to lament all of your problems to people and leave it at that and how miserable life is. You can talk about the things that are going on that are hard and say, but you know what? God is so faithful. He's so kind. Uh, he's helping me through it. It's hard. My heart's broken, but God has been faithful. He's given me everything I need to walk through this. If you've got problems, hard decisions to make, you, you can work your relationship with the Lord into that conversation. Talk about how thankful you are that Jesus is guiding you, that he's giving you the, the strength that you need, the patience that you need, the peace that you need. You don't have to be famous to make a difference in the world. To have significance in your life. Last spring into summer, uh, you as a church, you helped three of the counselors um, financially with, uh, with camp. So we, there was a number of counselors that were there all five weeks. We had three of them, and as a church, you, you financially supported them in that ministry. And some of you know who they are. They're not famous. Like, we know who they are. We love them, but they're not trending. They're not a household name. Did you know that 65 students last summer, not five weeks of camp, 65 students trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior for the very first time through those five weeks of camp? That's significant. Would you agree? That's significant. Last weekend, uh, our youth group, our youth group students, 30 plus of them, went out to Ohio to a winter youth conference. And some of you know who the youth leaders are that gave up sleep, gave up their weekend, and took these students out to this winter retreat. Some of you know who they are, but they're not famous. They're not trending on the internet. They're not household names. But last weekend, we had three, three young students give their heart to Christ and trusted Christ as their Savior last weekend. That's significant, guys. That's meaningful. I got, I got an email this week. I get interesting emails from time to time. And I got, a, I got an email from some company that monitors the popularity of podcasts. Now, I think they're trying to promote a business model where, hey, you're doing pretty good, but we can take you and make you more popular. I think that's the idea of it. But they, they monitor the, the popularity of podcasts. Now, if you don't know what's a podcast, it's basically this sermon. It's our sermons that are just an audio format. We have it in video on YouTube, but we also have it just in audio uh, available, and people can just listen to the sermon, okay? And the email said, congratulations, uh, your, your podcast is super popular. You're a big deal. Dot, dot, dot in parentheses in Singapore. Singapore? <laughs> what do you mean Singapore? Yeah, you've got three people that listen to you in America. 
Two of them are your aunt and uncle in York. <laughs> but in Singapore, you're a big deal. I just thought that was funny. Here's what I've noticed, though, about pastors. Like, that kind of stuff doesn't get me super jazzed or worked up. But I have noticed this about pastors. I meet pastors from around the country. Uh, I have the opportunity, the privilege to, to lead a ministry, our, a national ministry for our fellowship called Inspire. It's like our national ministerium, okay? All the pastors in our fellowship. And... Uh, so I, I get to meet pastors from all over the country, and I've had the opportunity, because of that role, to meet pastors from all over the world. And what I've noticed is that when I meet pastors, every single time, and I don't believe that I'm exaggerating, every single time I meet a, a pastor, the question will all, I know it's coming. I'll tell them about uh, who I am, maybe why I'm there, and maybe about my family. But the question is always asked, how many people are in your church? Every time. They want to know, how many people go to your church? Why are they asking me that? Well, here's what I've, here's what I've discovered. Because I've been at it for a while. And what I've discovered is the reason that they're asking is they are sizing me up. That's what they're doing. We want to know, before we listen to what you have to say, before we care whether you're here or not, we want to know, are you a big deal or are you not a big deal? That's what they want to know. If you've got more people in your church than, than, than I do, all right, then you're a big deal and I'll listen to you. If not, eh, I don't care who you are. I don't want to have it. Because that's happened to me. <laughs> well, after that conversation's been over, uh, some of them, uh, and, and they won't talk to me the rest of the time that I'm there. They, they don't find any value in it. So I stopped telling them. So here's how the conversation goes now. I just decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and so what I say, how many people go to your church? I don't, I don't know. I, I know we have a healthy church. Uh, I know we have a church full of people that love Jesus and really care about each other. That's what I say about you, so you better live up to that because I'm telling people all over the world that you love Jesus and you care about each other, so don't let me down. Don't make me a liar. But that's what I say. I say, well, we got a healthy church uh, full of people that, that love Jesus and they, and they care about each other. Now, you would think that that would be satisfactory. It should be satisfactory. It isn't. Here's what I've noticed. What I've noticed is the response is, you know, okay, but how many people? They keep coming back, but how many people? No, did you not hear? My, I've got a church full of people that love Jesus. No, I don't care. They care about you. We don't care. How many? And they, they won't let it go. And I just, uh, and I've just got to the point now where I, I refuse to answer that. I'm not going to participate in that anymore because my significance and theirs my significance is not connected to how many people are in the room, nor is theirs. My significance is connected to who Jesus is. My significance and yours is not connected to, to uh, how many people attend here on, on a weekend. It's not what makes us special. You are special because God loves you. You are special because Jesus left the glory of heaven left the glory of heaven and died on a cross because he loved you so much. 
that he wanted to have a relationship with you. That's how God sees you. That's how much you matter to God. That's your significance. That's my significance. And you and I, we've been asked, we've been called by God to share in this mission together to tell more people about him. That's a significant thing that you and I get to be part of, that we get to tell people about Jesus, to point more people to him. I am not, I'm gonna close up here with just a quick challenge. I am not saying that our goal as Christians is that we should wanna be a loser that no one likes, okay? That's not, so don't take it in some weird way you're like, I, like I'm, I must be super spiritual because no one likes me, right? If you've got a, 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 like zero people in your fan club, that does, not, that does not make you more spiritual than Tim Tebow who has three million people following him on Instagram, right? That's not what it's about. The goal of every Christ follower should be just this focused desire to point people's attention to Jesus, to use every opportunity that we have been given by God to just talk about him, to just talk about him. Like he matters to us. How about that? Almost like he matters to us. So that's the challenge. I, I, I wanna challenge you to challenge yourself to intentionally talk about Jesus in as many conversations as possible this week. Just work Jesus into the conversation. Find a way to do it. What'd you do this weekend? No, well, there's lots of ways you can answer that question. And it's okay to tell them that, you know, you did something outside and it's cold or whatever, and, and you, know, you can tell them about the game that you watched that you thought was fun, whatever. You know, you, you can talk about those things. That's, that's what normal conversation is. That's what I did this weekend. But man, what if, what if we also told them what we learned at church? What if we also told them about what Jesus is doing in our lives? Like, what he's doing in my heart right now. What if we work that into the conversation? Something more spiritually significant than, yeah, I watched the Steelers do this or that or whatever your team is. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. That, what do people think I'm weird? So what? John looked like a crazy homeless man and God used him in a significant way. Who cares if people think you are weird? Newsflash, you're not as cool as you think you are anyway, all right? We're not as cool as we think we are. So who cares? When people ask, who are you? You know what I want the answer to be? The, the answer that I want them to walk away with? He's someone that loves Jesus. If, they, if, if people walk away and that's what they know about me? As a guy that loves Jesus. There's nothing better than that. There is no greater significance that you could possibly give me in my life than that. I pray that that would be true of me. I pray that that would be true of you.